It's time for some healthy, valuable debunking of AI pie in the sky. We so often see reports of AI predicting with high accuracy things like your sexual orientation, whether you'll become psychotic, whether you're going to have a heart attack, whether you're going to die, whether your unpublished manuscript is going to be a bestseller. But here's the thing. These kinds of headlines are very often nothing but a flat-out lie. Welcome to the Dr. Data Show. This is Eric Siegel, and in this episode, I'm going to cover how well machine learning actually can feasibly predict, and yet how this type of deceitful propaganda usually goes without repercussions. They totally get away with it time and time again. And what they're getting away with is something I call the the accuracy fallacy, which in a nutshell is that they're reporting a measure of performance such as AUC or performance over a balanced test set. I'll get into that in more detail. And they use the word accuracy. They're falsely using the wrong word. But besides the technicalities, here's where the lie persists. They're conveying that their model does a really good job distinguishing between positive and negative cases and being correct for both positive and negative. You will or you won't have a heart attack. The ability to say that with confidence, whether the answer is yes or no. For most cases, because it turns out to be correct, for most positive and for most negative cases, uh, whether the book's going to be a bestseller. Whatever the prediction uh, at hand is, can it discern between the yeses and the noes and be correct most of the time for both yeses and both noes? Well, that would be amazing. That would be like a magic crystal ball for some of these kinds of prediction goals. And it's not what models can do. Now, I'm a proponent of machine learning, an enthusiast. Uh, I've built my career around it, and I'm not, I'm not throwing in in the trash, even though it can't predict as well as a crystal ball. So the bottom line for the business value is that you don't need to predict as well as a magic crystal ball. You can predict better than guessing and tip the odds in these numbers games that all businesses are playing. I call that the prediction effect. A little prediction goes a long way. So that's why predicting better than guessing is more than often good enough to deliver value uh, in a realistic way that models can attain. Um, it's, it's a very valuable thing. Now, there are certain kinds of prediction tasks that can be predicted really well. Um, so, you know, is there a traffic light in this picture, right? Some kinds of medical disease diagnosis. Um, is there a medical condition in this medical image? Um, uh, is this a picture of a cat or a dog, right? So there are plenty of things where um, both humans and computers can do a really good job getting the answer correct almost all the time including for both the positive cases and the negative cases for group A and for group B or whatever the distinction you're trying to make is. Um, But there's lots of things where you really would need clairvoyance. So, um, for example, sexual orientation. If you take a picture of a person, there's this um, fictional uh, pop culture notion called gaydar, right? It's, it's fictional, and we can't expect computers to be clairvoyant any more than we can expect humans. It's very important 
that the reports, both in in broad scale journalism um, and technical reports, and when you're communicating with colleagues, that the capabilities and limitations of how well these things can predict must be communicated in a clear way that's not meant to deceive, doesn't mislead anybody, um, to, in order to maintain ex, uh, uh, expectations. It's, ex, it's fundamental expectation management. And in fact, um, per the uh, prior episode where we talked about how rarely models actually get deployed, it's got to be central to that, right? You know, you deliver the model, say, okay, it's ready to be deployed. And then they, the, the decision makers might say, well, this isn't like a crystal ball. It's, it's, it's incorrect quite often, you know. Uh, it's, it's not highly accurate in, in a certain sense. That's okay, but that needs to be socialized and communicated from the get-go. So there's, there's, ex, there's, there, there's value to truth, um, so let's let's unpack the accuracy fallacy. Go through a few specific examples, and and uh, and sort of illustrate how this keeps happening over and over. What it really means, how it's deceptive, and and in, and in so doing, you kind of become clear. Oh, that's why nobody's calling it out very often. Uh, but the da- the doctor data show is here here to call it out, and I think it's really important. So uh, let's start with that example, that quote-unquote Gadar study, now infamous out of Stanford University, reported by Newsweek with a headline, AI can tell if you're gay. Uh, Artificial intelligence predicts sexuality from one photo with startling accuracy. And then the article itself, AI can now tell whether you're gay or straight simply by analyzing a picture of your face. Um, now, the main focus in terms of publicity here was the ability to distinguish between um, gay and straight uh, males. So they, they also conducted experiments with f- photos of females, but the focus and the higher uh, um, performance was on males. And um, what it could actually do with the reported 91% accuracy wasn't accuracy at all. It's whether given a pair of individuals one of category A and the other of category B, in this case, gay versus straight. The same concept applies for any of these prediction tasks. Um, Can the model choose between those two individuals? Will it give a higher score to the correct of those two individuals? If the scoring goes higher or lower, depending on the class. So whatever class takes place less less often in this case, um, gay versus straight, that's usually going to be given the higher scores in terms of the number that the model outputs. So will it, in that way, successfully distinguish between this pair? And the ability to do that correctly 91% of the time um, is impressive, but not nearly as impressive as what's conveyed by this publicity. Um, because the fact is, if you were going to use this model in the real world where um, according to the um, basis of this um, publication, 7% of the males are, are gay. Um, well, if you wanted the model to correctly identify two-thirds of gay individuals, every time it predicts an individual as being gay, it would actually be wrong more than half the time, more than 50% of the time that it labels an individual as predicted to be gay, it would be false. 
it would have a high false positive rate. And the problem is, the thing that makes it challenging, is that the less common category, the minority class, in this case gay, is 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 a low number it's 7%. And whenever you're trying to predict something that doesn't happen very often, right? Who's going to die tomorrow? Who's going to have a heart attack? Which transaction is fraudulent? Which manuscript will turn out to be a bestseller? All these things are it kind of goes hand in hand. Things that are really valuable and or in, in some way noteworthy and therefore important to predict tend to also be things that happen less often. And when it's not a 50-50 and that's the majority of cases, that's, that's usually what you're dealing with because you're trying to predict something valuable. Which of, our, which of our customers are going to turn out to be the most valuable customer, right? The really valuable customers across some threshold defining valuable customers is going to be some small group. So whenever there's something valuable to predict, it's going to tend to be something that happens less, less often. Now, um, since I w- I'm talking about the... Um, Stanford study on um, sexual orientation, I, I just feel a need to, as an aside, mention that they um, that the researchers also made an assertion in their publication that their results support a hormonal theory of sexuality rather than only reflecting cultural trends in self-presentation. The data set actually came from an online dating site. So is the model able to make a distinction better than guessing about sexual orientation because of the shape of a person's face that's related hormonally to their sexuality? I find that assertion very problematic, and so do many other people. Um, I just felt a need to mention that as an aside. But that's neither here nor there with regard to just sort of how well it predicts and how that's being presented. So by boldly saying, we predict with 91% accuracy what you're conveying. And in fact, even the most technical readers, unless they're really paying attention and dig into the detail, are going to read it this way. What you're conveying is that the model can distinguish between positive and negative cases and usually be right about it. In other words, the way that's phrased, it can tell if you're gay. No, it can't tell if you're gay. It can predict with better probability than simply guessing, but it can't tell. It can't get it right just as often for positive as for negative cases. It can't make that distinction reliably or confidently. Um, So that's the problem. So what they're actually talking... So, and by the way, accuracy uh, is, is, is not the right measure. And if you actually think, well, what do they what do they mean by ninety one percent accuracy? Well, if seven percent are gay, that means ninety three percent are straight. So if you categorize everyone as straight, you get a ninety three percent accuracy. So a very high dazzling accuracy is trivial to attain, and in so doing, never correctly identifying any of the minority class individuals. And that's true about it. If you've got 1% or 0.1% rate of fraud, you can have a 99.9% accurate model by simply saying nothing is fraud, right? So that's that's a well-trodden area. You know, accuracy isn't the right measure. It's not the right word to be using. It doesn't pertain. Um, uh, but that's sort of just a technicality. The thing that I'd be more concerned about that I call out with what I call the accuracy fallacy is conveying that it can confidently predict, that it can tell who's gay in this case. Now, what actually happens 91% of the time 
is that what's called that pairing test. Well, it can tell between a pair of individuals where it's already been preordained that one is straight and the other is gay. One is from class A and the other is from class B. But in the real world deployment, which is ultimately the only thing you care about, you don't have those preordained pairs. I mean, how could you? It presumes you've already solved the classification problem in order to make those pairs. It's a very different thing out in the field outside of the laboratory where you've just got this pool of individuals and you know 7% are class A and 93% are class B. How well is it going to do? Um, so that pairing test turns out to be the same as area under the curve, um, which is an abbrevi- AUC, which is an abbreviation for area under the receiver operating characteristic curve. Um, but however you measure it by pr- by doing the pairing test, which you could do by a simulation, or by calculating the AUC, which the area under that particular curve, it's kind of like a Gaines curve, but it's not. It's the ROC curve. Um, uh, either way, you get the same number. Um, the problem is they're using the word accuracy, and in so doing, they're perpetuating this fallacy, and they're conveying high performance. So let's jump to another example. and. Um, we have a million examples. I'll jump into a couple in a little bit, a little bit of detail, and then I'll kind of list just how bewildering it is, how many different um, cases there are where this gets perpetrated over and over in the media and in research papers. So there's an article in the Spectator in the UK, and the headline is: "Linguistic analysis can accurately predict psychosis." So it's predicting whether the individual patient, healthcare patient, will ha- have an, a psychotic break. And the inputs to the model, rather than being a photograph of the face, in this case, are linguistic anal- uh, attributes, you know, an analysis of the words that they used um, in speech. And uh, the article continues to say machine learning algorithms can help psychologists predict with 90% accuracy the onset of psychosis by analyzing a patient's conversations. Uh, Well, that's actually a different article. That's from The Register, also in the UK. But in any case, um, once again, it's conveying that the thing can distinguish. And so I saw there was a Psychology Today article covering this this result and this report, and, and an individual had made a comment saying, oh, does that mean if I see somebody using these groups of words and this type of linguistic behavior that I can be 90% sure that they're going to have a psychotic break? And the answer is absolutely no. But that's the whole point, is that this use of language, right? When you do research, you aren't just number crunching. You're communicating the results by publishing it or making claims about the capabilities of your model if if you're selling it to other humans and the way you communicate that has to be you know be meant to convey the truth but in this in these cases with this repeated perpetration of the accuracy fallacy it's conveying that the thing can tell it can it can distinguish between positive and negative cases and be correct about it confidently about positive cases and confidently about negative cases the report on predicting psychosis came out of Emory and Harvard Universities, was published in Nature. And in this case, um, it's a variation of the accuracy fallacy where instead of reporting the AUC or the pairing test uh, and using 
in misusing the word accuracy. Instead, they're reporting the accuracy as measured over a balanced test set. So instead of taking the case where, you know, more realistic, and th- this data was, um, it looks like it was meant for, a, a, you know, a situation where you've got self-presenting patients who therefore have a higher than average chance of, of becoming psychotic. So maybe there was a 23% according to what I could discern from the from the, um, following the citations, but still far less than 50%. But when they evaluated the model, they gave it a, a test set, a test bed, where half the cases were positive and half were negative. Half were patients that went on to exhibit psychosis and the other half did not. Um, and this actually turns out to be pretty similar. It doesn't quite inflate the reported, quote, accuracy, uh, unquote, as much as the pairing test, but it does, it overstates performance in much the same way. Um, it's just basically another way to do the same thing. If, if you measure the performance over a 50-50 split, you're cheating, right? You're giving the test set that's not representative of how the model would be used in the field if deployed for any any particular purpose. You've handed it an unreal imaginary test set, right, that could only be produced by already knowing the answers for each of the individuals, right, which in general you won't be able to do if you're using it in the field because you can't presume you've already solved the problem. Um, uh, Going to another example of predicting um, uh, criminality, the, uh, the next web, an online publication, said, this scary AI has learned how to pick out criminals by their faces. Um, prof- uh, professor claims AI can spot criminals by looking at photos. 90% of the time was another headline that was run in the Global Times in China. Um, MIT Technology Review and the Telegraph re- uh, also repeated the 90% accuracy claim um, but in that case, they're using AUC, the pairing test. <clears throat> um, prediction of who's, uh, who's going to die. Um, Google AI predicts hospital inpatient death risks with 95% accuracy. Same thing, they're reporting on the pairing test. Um, prediction of suicide with 84 to 92%. Same type of uh, accuracy fallacy. And let's predict best-selling books. Um, There's actually a book on it called The Bestseller Code, Anatomy of the Blockbuster Novel, and the artists claim that they've, quote, written an algorithm that can tell whether a manuscript will hit the New York Times bestseller list with 80% accuracy. Uh, But yes, it turns out that they're actually evaluating over a balanced test set, which is half bestsellers and half not. But in fact, only one out of 200 of the books included in the study were destined to become bestsellers. So if you look at how well the model performs over that um, distribution, every time you give it a book and it says, yes, I believe this will become a bestseller, it puts that prediction, it actually still only has a less than a 2% chance uh, of becoming a bestseller. Less than a 2% chance, and all the other cases are false positives, where it's falsely saying yes, it's falsely being positive in its output. Now, that's a lot of false positives, but that doesn't mean there's no necessarily no value to the model or that the model is not impressive at all. So 
if only one out of 200 books um, are becoming bestsellers in, in this in this data set, that's a half a percent. But it's actually identified a group that's less than 2%. Well, let's, let's just give it the benefit of doubt. Let's say it's actually 2%. So instead of a half a percent, it's finding books that have four times that likelihood, four times the chances of average of becoming. So it's actually tipped the balance. It's found books much more, much more likely, still not that likely, but much more likely than average um, uh, to become a bestseller. So that's the kind of thing that's legit, that's, that's potentially quite valuable, um, especially when you're talking about predicting something so rare and you find something multiple times less rare, multiple times more likely that's where the prediction effect takes effect. That's where you get value. And that's where you want to be honest. Um, there's other measures you can use. You can use lift. Um, you can use precision and recall. You can, you can use costs. There's a lot of different ways to report on and convey or communicate the performance of a model without succumbing to the <laughs> apparent temptation of overselling models. So anyway, the accuracy fallacy, I keep seeing it, and I've been keeping an extensive list um, of how often I see it. So you can um, find my publication on the topic um, in Scientific American blog, um, and uh, also a couple videos. I covered the same content, a bit more detail. The article version has a million links, so any of these particular examples and some of the more deep-dive arithmetic to to show that, hey, it's still less than 2% chance of becoming a bestseller and all these kinds of things. There's a lot, a lot of links if you want to dig in more. Um, I'll provide the links to these articles and the YouTube videos, uh, of course, on the podcast description, the episode description. Um, let me rattle off some of the linked examples. You're spotting legal issues and non-disclosure agreements. The models do all these things, and it's it's great. I mean, this this list of diverse applications should be a selling point for machine learning. Look at all the potential application areas across industry verticals. Look at all the impressive things that it can do and it, uh, uh, results that it can achieve across all these disparate domains, different data sets. Unfortunately, in this context, we're talking about these cases where it's not necessarily that the model is not impressive or that it has no value, but unfortunately, they've perpetrated the accuracy fallacy and they're far overstating the capabilities and they're conveying uh, that it can tell, that it can confidently predict both positive and negative cases. And that's false. That's a lie, but there's a kind of a one or two degrees removed from the lie. So somehow there's this plausible, although I consider it not plausible, uh, deniability. So it's not getting called out. Spotting legal issues and non-disclosure agreements, um, classifying news headlines, which ones are click, clickbait, um, detecting deep fakes, detecting fraudulent dating profile scams, spotting cyber bullies, um, detecting diseases in banana crops, detecting race from x-rays, distinguishing high and low quality embryos for in vitro fertilization, um, all right, that's about half of the list. So you can check out the rest of the list if you go to the article, Al Alzheimer's prediction. I mean, it just goes on and on, and everyone just keeps succumbing to, to this temptation. So anyway, we have, as usual, um, a, a couple, qu three questions from our listeners. Let's go to the first question. 
Are you saying that models are never accurate? Okay, well, Ms. AI, um, no, I'm not saying models are never accurate. So first of all, as we covered earlier, in, in all of these kinds of cases, or you know, in the most most of the times you want to make valuable use of machine learning, the thing you're predicting happens uh, relatively infrequently, which means that the lack thereof happens relatively frequently, maybe 90%, 95%, 99% of the time or more, which means if you always make that prediction, that's the accuracy you get. So accuracy, the word accuracy simply means... Um, how often are you correct across all the examples, both positive and negative? Um, how many of them? What proportion of them are you getting the correct answer? Is the model predicting correctly? Um, and so that's actually mundane. It's not the right pertinent measure. It's it's usually very trivial uh, to get a very remarkably a dazzling, amazing high accuracy, even without ever correctly distinguishing any one single example of the minority case. But I'm going to assume that the AI listener who asked the question, um, you know, meant are you to ask me whether I mean models are never high performing. And again, um, I'm not saying that either. We can um, get really good confident predictions over some cases. We can get performance that's a lot better than guessing and that for many business applications and applications across industries including healthcare can you know for triage or for what have you can really be extremely valuable i call that the prediction effect um, let's go to the next question why do you say the pairing test isn't meaningful it sounds hard to do um, well, if you're an AI asking that question, you're wrong. You should try it out. It's not that hard to do. Uh, the pairing test is a lot easier than distinguishing positive and negative cases in the real world where the positive cases are rare. So, uh, you know, it, it is impressive to get a high performance on the pairing test, but it's not nearly as impressive as what's being conveyed, the way this is communicated in the headlines and in the abstracts of research papers that then get translated by non-technical journalists to convey, hey, it does a great job, it can tell, right? It knows you, it knows about you, or whatever it is. Um, right? I mean, this all kind of goes with the all-powerful, um, quote-unquote, AI's reputation, right? It, it's, it's all seeing, it, it, the, the sky's the limit, it's only going to keep getting better, or as I like to say, the sky nets the limit. Um, it's, it's hyperbole. Uh, let's go to the next question. So, how do publications get away with being so misleading? You know, it's true. Um, you know, I've been saying, well, of course they get away with it. It's a clever scheme. Now, <laughs> I'm trying to get you, the listener, on board to say, well, gee, it seems so such a striking uh, maneuver to, to baldly mislead. They, they shouldn't be getting away with it. But clearly at this point, um, there's so little um, disincentive to doing it. And there's so much value to, um, 
to hyperbole, right? I mean, everyone's pursuing grants uh, or publish or perish, or in the business world, they're trying to sell. You're trying to impress, right? These are all sort of our societal manifestations of vanity and greed and deceit and and uh, other mortal sins and and the and the way and and this just they this this has perpetuated because evolution uh, you know I, I don't mean that biological evolution I just mean evolution of of way I, ideas get spread and the way um, headlines get clicked. Um, and retweeted and such, um, people aren't being discerning, and this this one works, right? This 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 is this is kind of a hoax where once you start trying to criticize people, they'll say, "Oh well, by using the word accuracy, you know, I meant I meant you know just how high performing it is." Um, or, uh, well, you know, people do that all the time, but they, of course, they just mean the area under the curve. But no, um, that's not so much. You have to look, you have to take a little step back and look at the overall communicative effect and communicative intent. And the fact is, these articles all convey to the casual reader, even definitely the lay reader and even technical readers, if they're casual. Um, that it can tell, that it can discern between positive and negative. And that, that's a falsehood. And I think this is really important because machine learning is really important and it is really valuable and it is very impressive. So um, thanks for listening. If you want to dig in further, um, spend a little more time with the pairing test or some of the details or see some of the links that I provided um, you know, follow the links to the, the articles I've published on the accuracy fallacy. And in any case, let's stop doing this. Let's, um, let's call people out on it and let's make sure that the performance of predictive models, um, right, which is all that we're trying to achieve here, right? the technology may be amazing and cool and awesome and have all the potential in the world, but the proof is in the pudding and the pudding is uh, the, the how good is this pudding comes down to a quantitative measure of performance and 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 a way that that's communicated to other humans that's meaningful and um, and uh, conveys the truth. <laughs>